Isn't ramen the uh, replacement for mac and cheese? Isn't that the modern? Am I right? No. Okay, I'm wrong. Good morning, everybody. Glad you made it here today. It's um, just, am I ringing? I just can't help it. I don't know. I, I got reverb? I sound better? I can never sound much better. Okay. Good morning again. Um, I never know. When we've had bad, iffy weather, everybody comes, and then we have good weather and people are missing. Any explanations? What did I miss? It's a big ball game, huh? Oh, a holiday. That's right. I should have known. Four-day weekend for some folks, having a wonderful time. Um, We are in, if you're visiting with us, the book of Hebrews together. And um, I'm looking forward to plowing my way through this book. It is uh, the first time I've exegeted my my way. We came up with this little uh, visual for the beginning. That's not from Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it looks close. And it is a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, which, of course, was central to the worship of the Jews. And so this letter is written to people who are well-versed in Old Testament. And so, hence this picture, this visual, if you will, to remind us of the glorious past of the people of God that uh, often is forgotten in the church. And so some of this we've, uh, we've dug into because I like preaching out of the Old Testament. And some of it comes out in this book as we go along. This morning, our text is again in Hebrews, the fifth chapter. And so I'm going to have the screen put up. And my title is, There is Hope for the Gymnasium Challenged. And I know you're all on the edge of your seat wondering what on earth is he going to talk about. But before I do, let me just say that um, I'm, I've been in this business for 44 years, and I'm hoping one day to learn how to preach. I haven't learned totally yet. In fact, so badly am I at it once in a while that uh, I want you to notice if you're a note taker that number one has a fill-in that I'll give you in a minute. And number two, I'm not giving you till next week. Yes. Now, I'll give you the fill-in, but you have to come back to hear, hear what it's about. Okay, but I'm not telling you yet. And the reason I do that is, and my wife has been on my case for years, and I must be a little on the dull side. You know, why would we need a relationship uh, seminar when uh, it's so easy. All you do is get married and you just mesh together. You never have any conflict, smooth sailing. Just learn how to say yes, dear. And whatever it is. Anyway, you get my drift. Well, I'm still trying to get it. And what it is is she says to me, you always put too much in. And so I don't finish. So today we're going to finish. Maybe early. Don't let that get, don't, don't get too wound up, but uh, I decided to chop it in half and do it in two halves. But before we start, I got to tell you, uh, there are times when I prepare to preach that the opposition from the unseen world is palpable. This has been one of those weekends. I, I finished laboring over this at 11.30 last night, struggling, and I never have that problem on Saturday night. That's just not usually the, the case. So uh, I'm going to ask for a couple of people to pray for us today. Can I do that? 
Of course I can. I'm up here. You're sitting there. And uh, I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers. I was thinking about our interns, Ben. You've got the silver hair, and you have no hair. Are you, are you in for it? He's going, baby. All right, Mr. Clower, why don't you start us? And uh, Mr. Ben, if you would uh, follow him, and then I'll pray, okay? I feel like I need the help of the Spirit today to drive home our truth and make sure it's clear. agree together, God, asking for your help, even though we are, as our forefather Abraham said, but dust and ashes. Nevertheless, you urge us in the book that we've been studying to come boldly before the throne of grace, with confidence, to be frank, to be honest about where we're at, not try to schmooze you because it doesn't work anyway. We ask today, God, for your help, and I want to agree with my brother. We praise you, my brothers who just prayed for me. I'm yielding to you. Your will be done, God. I am but dust and ashes, and my brethren are with me in this. We're dust and ashes. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you made us, that you made us in your image. Even though it's fractured, there's a crack in the mirror. Even so, you're in the business of putting it back together and letting the reflection of Jesus come out. 
Lord, would you take us 10 steps further in that regard today? I know you've been wrestling. You've been striving with us, Lord. The Holy Spirit has been brooding over this place. And the last thing we want to do is grieve him. Some are not even conscious that they're grieving him. But we don't want to do that, and we want you to have your way. So today, would you help us? And Lord, let the joy of our Lord be our strength. We pray. I pray for your saints. I pray for your little ones, your little flock, who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that they would be filled. Thank you for that. Bless you. Worship you. As I was pondering on the way here and as we gathered and worshiped today and uh, kind of got a little bit of an earthly glimpse into the heavenlies, we recognize that one day we will be gathered around the crystal throne and we will be giving glory to the Lamb. And even the people that we think don't do it the right way are going to be in the same congregation. Wow, it's going to be amazing. The best amazing part is that I won't be critical about it. I will get it, finally, completely. So if that's my future, God, let me have some of it now. Let us have some of it now. We pray these things in the great name of the Savior of the world, Jesus the Messiah. In his great name we pray, and all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, you know that... Um, with a title like that that I'm talking about fitness today. You can all go now. <laughs> no. I looked online. I thought gymnasiums. I found all around here. Man, there were more than I could count. Gold's Gym, Planet Fitness, Fusion. Here's one that sounds appetizing. Pine Bush Sweat Lab. <laughs> really? Really? I hope the owner's not here today. <laughs> really? Anytime Fitness, who goes to Crunch? You go to Crunch? Crunch, there you go. Curves, I was thinking about that one for me. You know. Anyway, uh, or you could just do it for free, like, uh, like I did. Uh, you know that every year for the uh, Harvest Festival, we have a race. We have a 5K. I fell into sin again this year. I did. I prepped for the 5K, and I ran it, and I actually did better this year than I did five years ago, the first time I ever ran. I did better, even though I'm older and more frail and feeble. I did better. And then I stopped. Oh, don't you hate when that happened? I did. I stopped. And you know, four months later, I can feel the aerobic go down a little, right? You can feel it. Well, anyway, here's how that works. Day one, walk for two minutes. No, jog for two minutes. You know, walk for two minutes, jog for two minutes. Walk. You do this every day. You get a little bit further. Then you jog for four minutes, and you walk for a minute and a half in between. You jog for another four minutes, and you do week after week, day after day, week after week, till you build up your endurance, and finally you're able to run. You can actually do it without stopping or having too much pain, which I noticed I had often as I got to a certain point of breathing, <gasps> that uh, lung activity that happens. It makes you want to say, I'm not doing this anymore. But eventually you get off the couch. That's what this training is called, couch to 5K training. You all seen that? Ever seen it? It's online. You can get it. It's free. And it works. 
And so I did it. So there's hope, though, for the gymnasium challenge. Some people will think that I'm talking today about physical fitness. And you know what? If that's your takeaway and God speaks to you, that's okay, because some of us need to do that. Some very, I don't know how many of us are really on some kind of a self-governing regimen, but that might apply. But uh, it's not like really the main point today, and I have to confess something. Running like that is not one of my fun things. You know, people, I did it. I feel more like Garrison Keillor. Anybody remember Garrison Keillor, Prairie Home Companion, all those guys? Yeah, he said this kind of like mindless gerbil activity, you know. You know. No offense, Jim Whittle and all you other guys, you know. I get it, but that's how it feels to me. I'd rather be on a bicycle, but... Uh, no, that's all right. No, no comments. We're not going to solve all that. So it's not something I love, but I forced myself to do it because, well, in this case, I wanted to run with the school. I wanted to raise some money, you know, do something. But there's more important things than just the physical uh, growth and, and fitness, etc. There's obviously a spiritual application. That's what I'm talking about today. We've been in the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible and you want to read it yourself, it's also going to be on the screen, page 1199, chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews. The author is writing to his listeners, and he says this about Jesus. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You're kind of on the couch in a sedentary position. It's hard to hear. Hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, you've heard me reference this before, and there's so much packed in here that I did decide to divide it in two before we move on to the next section, which is really kind of a troublesome portion of Scripture. If you've never read it, don't read it now. I'm talking. <laughs> but uh, later you might want to read chapter 6 down to verse 8, and it's like, whoa, what is that talking about? Because it sure sounds scary. Well... The context of this book, remember, is about persecution, and we'll try to unpack some of that a little bit, because after all, uh, not this week, but next week, I'll talk more about persecution, because after all, there's, there's not a chance that any of us are going to experience any kind of opposition or persecution, not in America. America, that's what I said. Really? Really? Much to say, one writer named Zunt said, there's much to say about this, but it would be obscure at this point. It would be obscure. Can I just say, brothers and sisters, that we have been a little bit like that in the past. And uh, may, may, maybe some of us still are, that we're not hearing. The guy preaches on Sunday. That's what preachers do. The cog in the machine gets up and does his sermon because that's how I felt when I got here. It's a cog in the machine. You need a preacher to, to make a church happen. Not really important, though. What he's saying isn't all that important. But actually it is. 
and you need somebody to teach you again the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Can I just say that what that reference there is the elemental truths or the elementary It's like ABCs. You need to go back to your ABCs. Can I just, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of relief. When he makes this statement, the author knows that these people know better. And he knows that they know their Bibles. He's actually saying like, come on, you're acting like babies. That's what he's saying. He's not saying you really are babies. He's saying, come on, you're acting like a thumbsucker here. What's the matter? Okay, so you sure you want to go on with this? Or? Okay, I'm just checking. You should be able to dig deeper. We should be able to talk about Melchizedek and his glory. I mean, isn't that your everyday dinner conversation about Melchizedek? Yeah, we were talking about Melchizedek last week, you know, me and the kids. You all here? You all with me? Okay. I thought that was funny, but obviously. People sometimes tell me, you know, you could make it as a stand-up comic, to which I say, I don't think so, but, and I just proved, I don't think so. And, and they also don't realize, thank you for that. Anyway, so. Maturity is what this is talking about. You should be able to dig deeper. If you were mature, we could talk about that. I could move on. By the way, I'm going to move on. He says that a little later. I'm going to go move on to Melchizedek. Yes, because you do have the capacity for it. But his encouragement here is stop sleeping on the couch. You want to know where I got my uh, title from? Yes, you do. I hope. That verse that says, because of practice, they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The word trained is gymnazo, which sounds like class. It's where it comes from. And it was from the Greek culture. And if you don't remember anything else this morning, you're going to remember this. The Greeks wrestled in the gym naked. They all got that. I heard the pastor this morning. He was talking about being naked. Gymnazo, training, effort, training, working out, struggling. That's the process that brings us to maturity. So I'm going to digress for just a moment. And I'm asking you to indulge me, if you would, and turn to the book of Ephesians. I'm not going to put it on the screen because it's not on there. The book of Ephesians, if you have your Bible, otherwise just listen carefully. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and it's talking about the giftings that God has given to the church and what he had in mind for the church, and this relates to some of where we want to go in this year because we talked about a couple of vision casts here. One is pray for one, and you're going to be seeing some PR about that in the building and have some things as reminders and an encouragement to get on the task, if you haven't already, some of you have already, of praying for at least one person that you're connected with to move them toward the kingdom. In any way. I don't, it doesn't matter whether you get to lay out all four spiritual laws. It doesn't matter if you just invite them to church. It doesn't matter if you had dinner and just warmed up a conversation. Pray for one. Start somewhere. And the other thing is that we go deeper in prayer, which will help us to see God move and mature us at the same time. Chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians is this. It says down, if you would follow me, I'm going to go all the way down to verse 11. 
It's talking about the gifts that God has given to the church, particularly in the position of leaders, apostles, prophets, verse 11, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Let me pause for a second. Some of us are saying, oh, yeah, I know some. I'm glad I'm not a pastor. I'm glad I'm not an evangelist. I'm glad I'm not a prophet. I'm glad I'm not a teacher. I'm glad I'm off the hook. Not. That's right. That's right. You're not off the hook. All of those gifts are given to do what? To equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, a knowledge of the Son of God, a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Oh, you could go on. I could preach out of Ephesians just without even having notes. But the point is, we all are influenced by those various gifts. I, have, I'm the, I do not have the gift of evangelism. You hired the wrong guy. I tried to tell you that years ago. I've led people to Christ. Some are in the room. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but you're his witness. If you know him, can I get an amen? Is anybody awake here? Okay, you're making me worry here. I don't like worrying on Sunday morning. I like preaching. So, I might not have the gift of giving. Oh, thank you, Jesus. What a relief. So I'm off the hook, right? No, you get, you get the point, right? All of those giftings, we watch and we learn from that. I have found, it's amazing to me, I, I've said this before, the people who have blown me away have been some of the most lean, economical people. In other words, they have... Very little, their giving gift blew me away. So you can't go by, oh, I don't have that gift. Those gifts are in front of you to train you so that we can learn a little bit from that, right? A person with a gift of mercy, I need that education. Anybody else in the room need that education? You know what I mean. Prophecy. Some of us need more of that. We watch another person who's very clear about black and white. We need that. Because I'm, you know. Anyway, I'll digress. So I'll try to behave here. The reason I turned to this text it was on purpose because I was pondering the condition of the church as I've, and I want to be careful how I say this, as I go about my ministry sometimes. Excuse me while I try to keep myself in order. I think about what is expected many times in assemblies compared perhaps to what Jesus had in mind when he left this church here. There's some books that we've been reading in small groups and what have you, several of them. I'm going to just quote two things. I'm not going to, I brought three books up here. That makes everybody nervous because you think I'm going to read, you know, 45 pages of stuff. That would be fun, but no, I'm not doing that. But I've got three books. The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book. Remember that one? Whatever that means. Dr. Phil on, on spiritual steroids or whatever it is. And uh, Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. Some of us are in that, right? Some of, that, of us are in that. Let me see if I can find the one that made me think about this. If I may. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you're going to remember this. Don't you hate me? Get rid of that thing. It's like the, the old joke of glue, remember? Commands versus expectations. Remember this? There is a simple exercise I walk through with church leaders. 
First, I have them list all the things that people expect from their church. They usually list obvious things like really good service, strong age-specific ministries, a certain style, volume, length of singing, well-communicated sermons, sorry, conveniences such as parking, a clean church building, coffee, child care. Then I have them list the commands God gave the church in Scripture. They usually mention commands like, love one another as I have loved you, visit orphans and widows in their affliction, make disciples of all nations. There's an important one, by the way. Make disciples of all nations, bear one another's burdens. Then I ask them, what would upset their people more if the church didn't provide the things from the first list or if the church didn't obey the commands of the second list? And the answer class, it's the first list, constantly. It feels like the church has been turned into a chaplaincy instead of a mission business. A mission. A cruise ship instead of a battleship. Just look at our prayer list. How much is about our difficulties and how much is about pray for this person who is going to die and go to an eternity without Christ. Compare it. It tells you a lot. In my own prayer life as well, can I just throw myself in with the rest of us? Okay, are we all in trouble? We need grace. We need grace. Don't give up on the dream, Chan said. Okay, I'm listening. The church doesn't have to remain a group of needy people complaining that they haven't been fed well enough. It can really become a group of servants who thrive in serving. And all of God's people said, yes, Pastor Jim, you catch my drift. So I just pondered that, the frustration. We're not all skilled the same way. I grant that. I don't expect everybody to be great at everything. Can't possibly happen. But we all have giftings and we all have something that we can do for the kingdom. Suppose a person in the church, and by the way, there's some good things happening. I am going to brag on you a little too in a few minutes. But a person encounters someone. They need to know how to accept Christ. Or they're a new Christian. They need some steps how to grow. They need to find their way through the Bible. They need to learn how to pray. They they need to know how to react to stupid people when they meet them in church. It happens. How do I handle I'm never going back to that. That's a good Christian reaction. Yeah, that's excellent. That'll help you. What do we do when we encounter that? We have a new believer on our hands. Call the pastor. Ack! Ack! Remember Kathy, the cartoon? Ack! Call the pastor. You call the pastor to dress yourself in the morning? You call the pastor. That's how basic it should be. Is anybody with me on this? Oh, I want to, this new believer wants to unpack predestination. Now you call the pastor, okay? That, I, that makes sense. But taking them, st- how, did you, how did you get as far as you got? How did you get to where you attend church on a regular basis? How come you're doing that? Who told you to do that, Jason? I'm just, <laughs> your pastor. Well, don't trust him. And <laughs> Very good. You get what I'm saying. And it's like, oh, I got to call it. No, don't. You don't want to stay there. 
You want to move on. Everybody in the room is a little further than somebody else, somebody brand new. There's something I can impart to someone else, right? There always is. Even if you're teaching them how to do dishes. I had somebody, this is one of my bragging. I want to make sure they're not in the room. <laughs> oh, they are, but it's okay. That They'll feel encouraged because I had somebody email this week when I said last time, who are you ministering to? And the question came on. By the way, I love when this happens. I really was thinking about that. I don't think I'm ministering to anybody. I happen to know the person. They're ministering in a number of ways. Speaking truth to somebody who needs to hear it, even if they didn't want to. Serving in one of our ministries that takes the weight off of other leaders so that they can be about the business, right? You want me, uh, you know, I've actually threatened on some mornings, I'm going to go serve in the nursery and you can figure out who's preaching. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, praise the Lord. Does that mean please do it this morning? Or is that <laughs> If we need it, go do it, right? Judy's my friend, by the way. Don't, nobody's, don't start anything here. Okay, you get what I'm getting at. I hope to get some of us, and that's your first fill-in, get off the couch, right? You already knew that. And just because I'm a nice person today, I had breakfast and coffee, so I'm in a good mood. The second one will be next week, is build up your, you're awesome, your spiritual muscles, which is an old expression I used to use all the time in training people how to war and warfare against the attacks of the enemy. I was dumbfounded when I uh, came here and Dar was the um, secretary at the time, and I found out that this church went through a study of Anderson's bondage breaker or how, how setting your church free. I was dumbfounded because I saw no evidence of anyone applying anything at all. What happened? Build up our spiritual muscles to stand firm. Sometimes we're getting the, pardon my expression, we're getting the snot beat out of us by the enemy and we don't even realize who it is. Yeah, We think it's us, think it's our neighbor. I mean, it might be. But the enemy is working the angles. And you know his favorite thing for the Christian is how rotten you are. You all get that? So just get over it. You're all rotten. Accept that. And thank God I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and he doesn't count me that way anymore. Amen. Are you in that? See, and you have, to, you have to believe that God is for you. I'm doing self-talk sometimes spiritually. This is, this is a sidebar. This is why I cut my sermon in half, so I still pull this off, all right, time-wise. But again, one of, the, one of the things that the Spirit brought back to me as I was questioning, and I do even up to last week, am I getting, am I accomplishing anything. <clears throat> Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said, um, all of God's great servants were weak men. So far, so good. They were weak men who reckoned on God being with them. Oh. Okay, God. 
You put me here. I didn't choose this. You put me here. I'm trusting you that you're going to be with me. So far, so good. I'm weak, and I believe he's with me. And he's with you. If you get with him, he wants to be with you. Amen? Okay, that's good news. Get off the couch. Let's look at something out of Hebrews chapter 6. Here's what it says. We desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the end. By the way, the verse in front of it says, we're persuaded of better things. You're not really babies. That's what he said. You're not really. Come on. Get that thumb out of your mouth. Come on. Put down the baby bottle. We're we're desiring each one of you to show the same diligence. We are persuaded of better things about you. So as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be, look at this word, sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We looked at the word patience last week. It's steadfast endurance. I used to love to quote it as stick-to-itiveness. Who was the uh, ball player that said uh, 90% of the battle was just showing up? Huh? Yogi Berra? Was I? I'm not sure, but it might have been. Anyway, that's really 90% of the battle, showing up, doing what you're supposed to do. Just do it. Faithful endurance. Through faith and patience, stick-to-itiveness, they inherit the promises. You do the same thing. Keep in the back of your mind, he's speaking to people who may be risking their lives to come out as Christians. Okay? We don't have that. We just don't like being laughed at. But they had their lives on the line. And so he's talking about faith and patience, endurance to inherit the promises. But don't, he says, allow yourselves to be sluggish. Interesting word. Lazy, slothful, hard of hearing or dull. As I was encountering my study on this, Lenski, the great uh, Lutheran commentator who really did a great job with this book, said that unbelief closes the ears, but incipient, lazy unbelief dulls the ears. Unbelief. I hate to say this. There it is again. Unbelief. They could not enter because of their unbelief. Too many times we allow unbelief to dull us kind of lull us into a sleep. Listen, what are we unbelieve? What are we unbelieving about? We're unbelieving about what God says about himself and we're also unbelieving about ourselves. What does he say about us? I have to believe what he says about me and I have to believe what he says about himself and this thing I just said a minute ago that he's actually for us, I got to believe that. No amens on that one. Okay, have it your way. All right, so Remember the terrible ad, stay thirsty, my friend. That's what you need to do. Stay thirsty, my friend. Hungry for God to minister to you, to to fill you up, to grow you. In fact, the word patience and uh, the other word at the beginning of this, I'm glad it's still up there, show the same diligence. Isn't that a good word? I don't know, is it? The Greek word is spude. Eagerness, zeal, here's the way I translate. I'm going to translate it this way. I like this. Show some forward motion. Forward motion. Doesn't have to be. God doesn't tell you how fast it has to be. You don't have to worry about how fast you grow. You should be concerned. 
But the point is forward motion. If there's no forward motion, you're actually going backwards. You understand? In the spiritual life, you're going, Ryan, you're my hero. Can you go down to the bottom where I have that cool chart I made years ago? Oh, look at this guy. Wow. Were you reading my mind? Amazing. Look at that. So I don't have a pointer, but uh, we have colors. So anyone that's colorblind like me is out, but uh, I can actually distinguish those. So here's what happens to some people, your spiritual life. The purple one. <laughs> the purple one. Yeah, that one. Guy gets born again. Boom, right? Takes off like a shot. You've met people like that. They're so on fire. They're shaming every Christian in the room, right? You know, they're just like, oh, if you were spiritual like me. <laughs> so, and they go flying up to this level, you know, they get their devotional life set, they get their church life set, they get their ministry slot set, they got it all set. And then what happens? This is what he's rebuking. I've learned enough. I'm good. There are people in this room today, I know that's what you think. It comes out, you don't even know you're saying it. I already know enough. I already got this. <laughs> enough said. Here's the other one, down at the bottom, the red one, should be in red, bloody. Spoon, not so good. Probably the people that he's really exhorting don't fall away and the next section is really scary for them. But let's drop that because no one in this room is going to be in that category, right? I'll hunt you down like a duck. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. The black one, that's normal. <laughs> I'm normal. <laughs> so you get born again. You start to go up. You have peaks. Oh, that conference blew me away. Holy mackerel. I got Bible reading into my discipline. It's happening. Woohoo! That's a little peak there. And then life hits. You know, your job cruds out and, you know, your girlfriend dumps you. Whatever. You go up and, you know, you recover from that. Oh, it's a little up and down, a little up. Now, you're doing great with that. Ready? <laughs> Here's the point. The first big dip. Go to that first big left, left, left. That one right there. Right? There's a lot of ups and downs in this believer's life, right? But as the years go by, go up to that dip and then up to the next little dip. That one. Is it further or behind? It's further. You've gone higher. You're going up up it's slow some days you feel like i'm all the way back i feel worse than i did when i was a new christian or before i was a christian i feel as bad as a pagan right anybody nobody in the room's ever had that i'm sorry i'm preaching to the wrong people you get what i'm saying and here's where the devil lies to you you're in one of those dips and you're like oh, god hates me uh-uh you have come way further than you were before you just don't know it isn't that fun? You guys need to learn to have fun. Jesus is fun. He really is. I don't mean he doesn't get strict with you, but he's fun. Okay, enough of that. I don't want to over-spiritualize you. Here we go. Don't be lazy, slothful, hard of hearing, dull. You have gotten dull because there's something on you you need to loose off you. 
I loose it off you in the name of Jesus. You guys don't get out much, do you? What are some evidences of dullness? Oh, boy. See, I just can't help it. I have to meddle. I love this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Oi. Oi. Where am I going? Oh, yeah, here it is. It's so easy to carp. Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to have trouble with this. Compartmentalize. You get the word? Compart- we, carp- we make little boxes for our lives. How's that? I got this in this box, you know. I got my, my finances in this box. I've got my marriage in this box. Oh, and then there's my church box, my spiritual box. You know, people make the mistake of, and I think it's Ortberg makes that clear, that uh, we distinguish between our life and our spiritual life. There's only a life. God's interested in your life. It's all spiritual. If your brain is screwed in right, it's all spirit. It's all part of your spiritual life. There's a thing that's always in the, well, now stay on task. Here we go. It's easy to compartmentalize God to Christian activities around church and our spiritual disciplines without thinking of him in our marriages, the disciplining of our children, the spending of our money, our recreation, even our studying for exams. According to Gallup polls and sociologists, one of the greatest scandals of our day is that evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, sexually immoral as the world in general. Ouch! Shut up! Church members divorce their spouses as often as their secular neighbors. Church members beat their wives as often as their... Church members' wives beat their husbands... No, I made that one up. As often. And that's not a funny thing, by the way. I, I made a joke, but it's not funny. Tragic. Church members' giving patterns indicate they are almost as materialistic as non-Christians. White evangelicals are the most likely people to object to neighbors of another race. Of the higher commitment evangelicals, higher commitment, like we call them disciples maybe, 26% think premarital sex is acceptable. Now, uh, hey, guys, it's the 2020s. I'm surprised it wasn't much higher than that. While, 20, while 46% of lower commitment evangelicals, which would probably be the huge masses that go to large assemblies, or not so large assemblies. You know this is kind of large. Did you know that? Anything over 70 people is kind of large. Anybody want to count? How many we got here? Never mind. Okay. 46% of lower commitment evangelicals believe it's okay to sleep with your girlfriend, to cohabit. I know the world says, well, while you were sleeping, anybody ever see that spiritual movie? They're all spiritual to me. Remember, I said there's no distinction between life and spirit. <laughs> See? I'm so sneaky. But anyway, that spiritual movie, uh, while you were sleeping, she's uh, Sandra Bullock's working in the, uh, the uh, subway booth selling tokens. When they used to use tokens, they don't anymore. And uh, her friend is asking, are you getting mad? You're going to get mad? Yeah, uh, so... 
of course, are you having sex? No, we thought we would wait. Wait? She responds that way. Waiting? Waiting? What? Are you an idiot? That's the world's thinking. And the church is buying in. Buying in. It's because we don't know our scripture. We don't know what God's view really is about all of this. So anyway, I'm not trying to park on that one subject. The reason I brought that up is that we can have tons of information dumped on us and totally miss it. That's where I'm going. How do we get dull? I don't even want to talk about uh, severe, if you will, um, thumb-sucking Christians, you know, I remember this guy came to our church up north, and, and my friend, uh, Brother Dan Little, is, he's preaching this morning, as a matter of fact. Dear friend of mine, Pentecostal background, we just love each other from heart to heart. Love the Lord, love the Lord, love each other. And he had this brother come to his church and sat there and sat there and took in and took in and took in and never lifted a finger to do anything. And when the pastor had the gall, can you imagine a pastor with gall? But when the pastor had the gall to say, is there any chance that you might actually do something here and like serve in some way? I'm sorry I'm picking on Brandon Allman. I love you, brother. You're so good. Anyway, what? I never stormed out of the church, came to my church, lucky me, <laughs> and repeated the same idiotic pattern. That's a thumb sucker. If you're even born again, only God knows. How do I get dull? Let me give you a couple examples. If you want to take notes, you can do this. There's more probably, but let me just give you a couple examples. Pride. I'm good. I got it. I already mentioned that, right? Let me show you a quote from Tim Keller. I love this quote out of the prodigal God. Many lifelong Christian believers feel they understand the basics of the Christian faith quite well and don't think they need a primer. Nevertheless, one of the signs that you may not grasp the unique radical nature of the gospel is that you're certain that you do. I got this. No, you don't. And I'm not talking... You can put that down. Thank you, bro. That's not... That's not um, I'm not talking about a person who's not saved. I'm talking about a person who's saved. You know? What does a person do to get saved? One of my favorite little challenging books that I've read many, many times, True Discipleship by William MacDonald, a Plymouth Brethren guy. Can you imagine? <coughs> Something powerful came out of there. They had some good stuff. Pathway to true discipleship begins when a person is born again. It begins when the following events take place. You have to ask yourself, instead of saying, I got this, ask yourself this morning, do I have this? Has this happened to you? When a person realizes he is sinful, lost, blind, and naked before God. There's that word again. He's lost. person realizes, I can't get into heaven on my merit. He acknowledges he cannot save himself by good character or good works. When he believes, number three, that Jesus Christ died as his substitute on the cross, he gets it here, and when by a definite decision of faith, he acknowledges Jesus as his only Lord and Savior. That's how a person becomes a Christian. That's how. Don't earn it. You receive it. You acknowledge it. Now we have to grow. I don't have it all. And one of the big mistakes people make 
because they leave out that last one, I make a commitment to this person, Jesus. They leave that out. The second way we're dull, and this is the one I fear for here, is assent. A-S-S-E-N-T. Assent. I agree with everything you're saying. Oh, yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah, I get that. It's a passive. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm with that. Yeah, I believe in God. I, I get that. Do you ever read James? You believe that God is one? Oh, dandy. That's my transliteration, if you will. You know, Dandy. He says, you do well. Don't you know that the demons believe that God is one and they're not going to make it to heaven. They're going to burn. The demons believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is dead? Assent, passive assent, is not the same as becoming a Christian. Decide for yourself. Where am I at? Do some self-assessment. Get off the couch. Get off the couch. Overfeeding. I preach on this because it makes me crazy. Crazy. Here's why I stress. You ever see a stream that runs into a pool and the pool has no outlet? That water is disgusting. It becomes toxic, gross. You not only wouldn't want to drink it, you don't even want to put your hands in it. I had one of those nearby where I used to live in the country. It just became a dump for the local farmers. You know, it's like, Eat, eat, eat with no exercises like that stagnant pool. Just take it in, it never goes out. Take it in, it never goes out. <coughs> Putting something out is how to take what you're learning and make it go outward. My friend that I mentioned already, Dan, one of our prayer meetings, coined the phrase about the American church that we have a low obedience to knowledge ratio. Lots of knowledge, low obedience, right? High value, low price. High prices, low value. Anyway, you get Many, many tons of information stored, very little action on it. Next time we're going to tap into that phrase that the passage said, although by now you should be teachers, one of the things I realize, I hate to, it's perfect for physical exercise things, you know, our, our karate sensei has instructed us, teaching is learning. You want to learn? You want to learn Bible? Teach it. You'll find out when you stepped on the wrong plate. <laughs> Oops! I got to get an answer on that. Then you can come talk to me. That's right. You know what I'm saying. Teaching is learning. You try teaching it, you will learn. That was the first thing I did as a brand new Christian. I had no idea what stupid things I was saying. Didn't matter. I grew. And thankfully, I didn't damage anybody. That's all I can say. Teaching is learning. It's an outlet. It's an outlet for the, the information that we're taking in. I hear people, they're, they're, this is why last week I went off on, we surround ourselves with so much stuff, we're not in touch with the real world anymore, and we're bloated. I got to think about whether I should say this, because I know in the last few weeks, your favorite part of my sermon was my... Um, Happy medium joke, right? 
That was a good one, right? So I was thinking about what I'm doing today. It's called expository preaching, but I'm hoping it's suppository preaching. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? There needs to be some outflow here so that it's not all here, flowing out. I want to gossip about my church for a minute. Can I do that? There is good gossip. Did you know that? The early disciples were scattered abroad. They were not the apostles, teachers, deacons. It was the average church person like you and me. They went out and gossiped about Jesus wherever they went. I want to gossip about our church. I heard some good stuff. Some of our peeps. I didn't get permission, so I hope I don't get in trouble. I think when you tell good stories, you're okay. It's only when you tell the bad stuff. But somebody was at work, encountered another co-laborer who said, I don't have a Bible. I've never heard. I'd love to know. This person from our assembly went out, bought them a Bible, has got them in a Bible study. What? Radical, crazy And I heard about another brother that uh, goes to work, reads his Bible. He's not allowed to bring things up, but people can sure ask him. I love that kind of stuff. It's awesome, right? Outflow. Keeps you from getting dull of hearing. One more thing. One other thing. Monasticism. You know, monasticism. We have to be monastic. Stay away from all the cooties. The world is full of cooties. (gasps) Watch out. Keep my kids away from the cooties. Keep my husband and wife away from the cooties. <sighs> Let me read something. Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Leaving the elementary, te- the ABCs. He doesn't mean leave it alone. He means leave it in place, but we build on it. The teaching about Christ, let's go deeper and press on to maturity. Let's grow up and stop acting like babies. Maybe it's time to choose not to be so blasted complacent about where you're at. Okay, let me think about this. I wish God would have let me just level off, leave me alone. I've done enough. Enough already. And he keeps grabbing me by the neck and twisting, saying, you need to go to another level. You need to grow here. Don't you hate that? Not really. Because I know he loves me, and he's not going to allow me to be a little brat. More than I already am. Ditch the daily bread. Stop eating pablum. Oh, it's good enough. I I, I did my duty. Baloney. Try picking up something a little more challenging. Maybe read a classic, you know, really struggle with something like My Utmost for His Highest. Or read Tozer or some of the classics, Murray, With Christ in the School of Prayer. Go on and on. Augustine, anybody. I dare you. Stretch a little bit instead of spoon feeding. This is what this means. Let the Holy Spirit start to talk to you. I want you to ponder with me a story, if we could. If you would take your Bible, uh, you can follow along, or you can just see the verse that I highlight at the right time. It's in Luke chapter 7. 
Because I do believe one of the places, I'm just going to be candid, one, for a change. One of the places we're stuck as an assembly and in the school, I'm in the school up to my neck right now, and I'm, I've been in this assembly for six plus years. And um, we are saturated, we, we were marinated in, in, in some wrong thinking. It's called legalism. We're still trying to shake it loose. There's a freedom in the spirit that God has in mind, and we're missing it so often. What I'd like you to follow along with me is, uh, where am I here? Luke 7, 39. Now, wait a minute. I must have the wrong one. Am I in Luke? Oh, well. Let me tell you the story. How did I lose my place? Oh, here we are. Okay, thank you. If you follow down on page 1029, Luke 7, one of the Pharisees was requesting him, verse 36, to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. You get what that means. And when she learned that she was, he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. What a scene. I don't know about you, but it makes me uncomfortable just thinking about some other woman doing that. Uh, yeah. But culturally, this was making a statement, and it was pretty obvious. And she is obviously an individual who has been broken over her sin. She knows who this Messiah is, and she's worshiping him. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, here it comes. He says to himself, this man were a prophet. He would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. We don't even have to read Jesus' answer. I think you already figured out he's off base. Why is he off base? Lots of knowledge. Remember, this is one of the Bible-thumping, Bible-study people. The Pharisees were the strict ones. They made sure as hard as possible not to step out of line. They had knowledge of the Old Testament. They followed rigidly rabbinic commentaries, strict sect. We know how to stay holy and pure. Here's my quiz for you. What are the propositions? What is he thinking that has him off track? Number one, any, any, any ideas? First of all, Jesus is unspiritual, right? What were you going to say? By golly, you're right. She needs help. We're walking perfectly. Good insight. Jesus is unspiritual. If he really knew what was right and wrong, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. Isn't there something else here? Sin is contagious. You get cooties by being nearby sinful people. I can't go to that place. I can't go to that establishment. I couldn't possibly be there. I couldn't possibly do that because I'll get infected. Now, let me make it clear. If you're a struggling new Christian, 
You can't be around certain music or you can't be around certain dancing or certain kind of drinking or whatever it happens to be, then do not go there and don't say, Pastor John said it didn't matter because you're lying because you're weak and you know it. But if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus infused with his love for the lost, then I am impervious to the attack of sin. You understand? Jesus was not sullied by being touched. She was sanctified. I am preaching it. We've got it upside down with our stupid rules. This marks a Christian and this doesn't mark a Christian. You can look like the perfect Christian, you know, military haircut, smiling, teeth that twinkle in the sunlight and be as vile as you could be behind the scenes. You know that. When are we going to wake up? Jesus transforms us from the inside out. Get off the couch. Mind first, then deal with your bondages, then move on into ministry. There's a formula. Bible knowledge plus obedience equals maturity. Let me say it again in a different way. The truth... And listening for the Holy Spirit will help you grow. You will grow. Too many of us in this room are stuck on that big flat line. Oh, I I did it all. I got it all. You are stunted. You're missing it. And some of us are leaning in, and you just give me joy out of my skull. That's a compliment. Let's pray. Let's stand together. Time's up. Told you. Imagine if I preached the whole sermon. Been here till 1235. Blessed be your name, Lord. Thank you that you love us. And thank you that you won't leave us alone. (laughs) Sometimes we want you to leave us alone. I'll admit even me. But Lord, thank you that you won't leave us alone. Neither to abandon us or to let us sit Dumb on the couch. Prod us off. Help us in the great name of Jesus, Lord. Put your angels around your people. Inspire them by your Holy Spirit. Bear fruit from this congregation and get a name for yourself, Lord Jesus Christ. For your name's sake, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless and have a wonderful day.